Luke chapter 6, verse 37, as we jump in to a sermon that our Savior preached. Some familiar words, but words that need to be applied in the hearts and lives of the children of God. Look at verse 37 as we're standing in honor of the Word of God. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Key passages, 43, 44, and 45. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from the bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasures of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." Ouch, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that you've given us that are words of truth. And Father, truth cuts to the heart. It gets personal. But I pray that we'll allow your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to guide us today in truth. So by the power of your Spirit, Father... Got our thoughts, help us stay focused, got our understanding of truth, and give us a desire to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in Ephesians chapter 5 to live in the light as children of God. We're challenged in Ephesians 5 to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. We do that through His Word. We're exhorted to have no fellowship with the unfaithful works of darkness, but rather expose them in the light. During our In Hiding series, we are confronting and addressing sins and circumstances that honestly leave us wanting to hide. We've looked at anxiety and loneliness already. Today, we'll look at abuse. Coming up next week is addiction, and then on May the 6th is pornography. Honestly, we do not want anyone else to know that we might struggle with any one or more of these issues. Thus, we hide. And we know how it is on Sunday morning, how we hide, right? It's that, that I'm fine mask. We, we ask one another, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. But deep down inside, we know that we're really not okay because we may be hurting real bad. 
Now let me just give you a disclaimer of what I'm not saying. I, I, I'm not saying that when someone in the hallway or in the, ma- in the gathering place asks you, how are you doing? I'm not asking you to, to upchuck everything that's bad in your life, okay? I'm not even asking that in the life group time that when we have prayer requests that you unload everything. There is a time and a place. But what I do want you to hang on to is that no matter what issues in life that we are walking through right now, we have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ because our Savior lives. Amen? All right, y'all going to have to warm up and get better than that because we're going deep today. But here's another truth. We have help within the body of Christ. And as we address these serious issues, one, understand we offer free biblical counseling. It is discipleship to come alongside and let the truth of God's Word set free the children of God who might be experiencing some of these difficult times. But in the body of Christ, there is the community of believers. I'm talking about biblical community. Biblical community is not just sitting beside someone in worship. Biblical community is that group of believers, that small group that we connect with, to live life with through the good and through the bad and through the ugly while digging deeper into the power of the gospel that can set us free. And so we need each other as we seek to live out the truth of the gospel. The gospel has power to transform our lives. But we need brothers and sisters in Christ to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So we need each other. And by the way, just kind of take a breath and know that whoever you're sitting beside, in front of or behind, we all have issues. None of us have it all together. All of us struggle. And now we face a daunting topic for the body of Christ called abuse. Whereas the first two topics, anxiety and loneliness, were temptations for all of us that we all have in common. Thankfully, abuse not everybody experiences. Yet the topic of abuse is far more prominent than we think even among those called the children of God. As the body of Christ... We must, we must, we must deal with this destructive pattern of behavior. Here's the reality, church. If one member of the body of Christ is struggling through destructive abuse, then it becomes personal to us. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12 that the love that God's placed in our life ought to be a love in action that is manifest to the other members of the body of Christ. In fact, he says when people are in need, we, the body, need to be ready to help them. We ought to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And as much as is possible within us, we are to live peaceably among one another. I want you to look at the definitions that are on your notes and the first one is just the general definition of abuse, sinful treatment towards other persons, when one misuses natural powers, positions, privileges, and advantages. It's pretty uh, comprehensive there. We're not going to deal specifically with sexual assault today, but we know it's a prominent problem, so there is a pretty comprehensive definition of it. We are going to deal more with domestic violence or abuse 
And it is defined as an abuse of power manifest through selfishly motivated patterns of behavior. Selfishly motivated patterns of behavior intended to exercise or maintain control over one's partner. We recognize both the problem and the prominence of abuse in every form in the world in which we live. If you don't believe it, just look at the news. Listen. There is verbal, there is emotional, there is physical, and even sexual abuse are rampant in our culture. How many high-profile, powerful men have fallen in the last two years because of sexual harassment? Hashtag movements like hashtag Time's Up and hashtag Me Too have elevated the awareness of a huge problem among us. We had a top story in our local news regarding sexual abuse this week with a religious leader. Here's the scary thing. What we see and hear in the news, those are just the high-profile cases. Consider sexual assault. One in four women are or will be victims. One in four. Men are not exempt. One in six men are or will be victims of sexual assault. Every two minutes in the United States, someone is sexually assaulted by someone they know. Consider domestic violence. One in four women will experience some form of that abuse in their lifetime. One in four. 75% of Americans personally know someone who, ha- who is or has been a victim of abuse. Any form of abuse, assault, or violence is wrong and must be confronted and brought to an end. Do you hear me, church? These behaviors are sinful in the sight of God and must not be tolerated by the people of God. We have a responsibility to come alongside those who are abused, injured, to offer help through the power of the gospel that redeems, that restores, and that reconciles. We have a responsibility to come alongside of those who are violent or abusive, and, and have that destructive pattern in their life and to rebuke them with truth and correct them and restore them in Christ. We have that responsibility. There is no way for me to address the vast topic of even domestic abuse. So I want to zero in and kind of provide a beginning framework, biblical framework, that might help us better understand domestic violence and how to help those in the midst of the destructive pattern of this domestic violence. Note what is printed on your notes called Key to Lasting Change. This is what I operate by and think by, what I believe. Right beliefs will foster right motives, which will produce right behaviors. So when we address these kinds of topics, we have to go to right thinking. And right thinking fosters right desires, want to. And right thinking and right desires produce right behavior. And so there is a progression of levels that we deal with, and it ends up at the heart level. And so that's what I want us to understand. Now, for the body of Christ, how in the world do we minister in the midst of domestic violence? Well, we have biblical counseling. That's good. Uh, We teach and preach the Word of God, and so truth will confront sinful behavior. That's great. But, man, I want you to listen up to me. I really believe 
that the way that we can be most effective addressing an issue like domestic violence is by addressing men in the life of the church and the heart of men. Because really, violence at its very heart is a man problem. Consider, 85% of murderers are men. A large portion of females who commit murder are victims of abuse. 90% of people who commit violent physical assault are men. 95% of serious domestic violence is perpetrated by men. It's estimated that 25% of men will use physical violence against a partner in their lifetime. 95% of dating violence is committed by men, mostly, most often teen boys. 85 to 95% of sexual abusers are men, and they abuse both male and female. 99% of people in prison convicted of rape are men. 81% of batterers admit to growing up in an abusive home themselves. So here's what I mean. We must, if we're going to make a difference with these critical topics, recognize that the heart of a man, particularly a believing man, a Christ-following man, the heart of a man is a key to an inroad of impact in our ministry. So helping men embrace right thinking through the teaching and preaching of God's Word Right thinking that fosters a right desire within them. For example, love our wives as Christ loved the church. Love God and love others as Christ has first loved us. Will produce right behavior. So in men's ministry, I pray that we can just drill down more and more and more to address the heart of men. Because when a man changes, people around him change. When a man changes and he's married, his marriage changes. When a marriage changes, a family changes. When families change, a church changes. When a church changes, then a community changes. You get the idea, right? So, man, I'm asking you to come alongside of me and let's figure out how we can even more effectively address the heart of men. And as men gather spiritually desiring the heart of God and the mind of Christ, we need to hold one another accountable for how we live for God's glory. Now, there's three points on your sermon notes. The first one is the fruit principle. There was no man that said amen there. You missed it. So I'm not going to batter you in this message. I'm going to challenge you. First of all, the fruit principle, verses 43 and 44. The preceding section that we started reading with verse 37 is, is what some have called America's favorite verse. When you seek to hold accountable or seek to confront or seek to bring to light something that they have done that they might be oblivious to that is hurtful or sinful behavior, you're going to hear, Who are you to judge? The Bible says, Judge not lest you be judged. Ever heard that? Well, it does say that. But taking it out of context is very destructive and harmful. Let me just make this statement. If no one makes moral judgments, then there can be no morality. Let that sink in. We're called to make some moral judgments. In the present section, Jesus calls his disciples to a lifestyle of discernment. A lifestyle of moral judgment. Not only in their life, but the lives of those around them, in the body of Christ particularly. Look at verse 20. When Jesus began this sermon, he's not talking to the world or to the crowds. In verse 20, he says, Then 
he lifted up his eyes toward his who? Disciples, his followers, those who are believers. And so we have a responsibility to hear what our Savior calls us to do and be. So being able to judge is an essential part of discipleship and leadership. I'm not talking about judgmental. I'm not talking about sinful judging because verses 41 and 42 give us a stern warning. Be careful that you deal with your own sin before you try to deal with somebody else's. Be careful that you take that plank, that log out of your own eye. Let the Holy Spirit examine you before you try to get the tweezers and remove the speck out of somebody else's eye. Are you with me? And so the Bible does not say, do not judge, but the Bible cautions, you let God deal with you first. You have a clean heart and pure motives before you start meddling in anybody else's business. But look at verse 42. Jesus said, first, first move, remove the plank from your own eye. But after that first, there's a then. Did you see it? Then you will be able to see clearly to do what? Action to remove the speck out of someone else's eye. So the Bible doesn't say, hands off, judge not, lest you be judged. It means get your house in order, let God deal with your heart and your sin, and then as a brother, as a sister in Christ, in biblical community, we can be God-honest with people and we can say, that was wrong, that was hurtful, that was sinful. We ought to spur one another on, Scripture says in Hebrews, to love and good deeds. You're not going to spur each other on by glossing over sinful behavior. And so it's time that as men in the body of Christ, we spur each other on to live the way that will bring glory to God. It's time that we spur one another on as brothers and sisters in Christ to bring glory to God. Let's go further. Jesus makes this illustration very clear as we look at the, the fruit principle of a horticulture lesson. He said, a tree is known by its fruit. That's easy, right? No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. We might say bad apples don't come from a good tree, and good apples don't come from a bad tree. Jesus then states the principle. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. So first-hand evidence makes it possible to give an accurate analysis of what kind of tree it is and its condition. When we walk up to the tree and there are peaches hanging on that tree, what kind of tree is it? And we know the difference between a shriveled-up peach and a plump, ripe, delicious-looking peach, right? We walk up to a tree and it has apples on it. What kind of tree is it? It's an apple, and so we understand that apple can be robust and delicious-looking, healthy-looking, or it could be diseased, half-eaten, shriveled up, diseased-looking. So fruit can be healthy or it could be diseased, but your tree, what kind of tree it is, is going to be known by the fruit. It's an everyday illustration that Jesus gave them. They understood figs and fig trees, but then he flipped it. Look at verse 25. The human illustration. In verse uh, 45, I mean, not 25. Did I say 25? Go back to 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart 
brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the inner disposition of a person, what's inside, is going to determine what comes out. And so not only does Jesus tell us that 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 tree is going to be known by its fruit, but in the words of Ken Ray that we heard so many times, what's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket, right? We can put our mask on like everything's okay, but eventually the truth will be known through one's words and deeds. Let me caution us there. Get on the same page. There are fruits of domestic violence that are very damaging and alarming. Physical force is one that we think about, but that's kind of the top of the pyramid. Not all domestic violence is physical. But physical violence is a destructive pattern. There's intimidation, certain looks, tones of voice, threats of size. I'm bigger than you are. Uh, Throwing things, breaking things, hitting things. There's ridicule, name-calling, mocking, humiliation, guilt trips, mind games that men play with women. Sometimes women play against men. There's the isolation game, isolate from friends, isolate from church, uh, control the phone. There's a denial and blame. Blame because I'm on this medicine. Blame because I was brought up this way. Blame because I had unfortunate circumstances growing up. Uh, And so we blame things and blame people rather than take responsibility. There's children manipulation. Unfortunately, those who are filled with sinful, selfish pride don't mind dangling children to be a threat and manipulate a spouse. There's this male privilege thing that some men who have just enough religion to be dangerous to say, well, God's made me the spiritual leader of this family and I'm the king of this castle and you have to submit to me and whatever I say goes. That is a violation of the biblical principle of biblical headship. Biblical headship is a servant leader who exalts Christ and edifies the others. The fruit reveals the root. I like that. You like that? The fruit reveals the root. I don't like what Jesus says about that. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, hey guys, it's pretty easy. Good fruit, good root. Bad fruit, bad root. Because what your mouth and lips just let out, that is a snapshot of what's inside. The heart is the root. So what's inside is going to come out. The tongue, the things we say, reveals what's in our heart. Now, I don't like Jesus saying that. You don't either, if you're honest. Our words are the most direct communication of the inward being. So when a man's conversation is ungodly, the heart of that man is an ungodly heart. If his speech is carnal and fleshly, then his heart is carnal and fleshly. If it is worldly, then his heart is worldly. If it's godless, then his heart is godless. If it is profane and mean-spirited, then he in the inside is profane and mean-spirited. We men like to make excuses and and we like to resist the temptation of, of, of really acknowledging that what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And so when we use hurtful words and when we lose our temper and we like to say, well, I just lost my temper, that's really not what is inside of me. I really love you, but our spouse may be having a hard time understanding, perceiving love because of our actions. 
And so we like to blame it. Well, that's not really me, that hurtful person. What's really me is when I say I love you, but they cannot perceive I love you because they've been injured by our words and actions. Does that make sense? Boy, that's personal to me. And we need to spur one another on, guys, to make sure that our words speak encouragement and edification and that our actions encourage and edify and not tear down because if we hurt with words and if we destroy with our actions it doesn't matter how many times you say I love you it's going to be hard to believe so Jesus illustration of the good tree bad tree we see heart giving life to behavior just like roots give life to fruit so we must focus on root causes of behavior not just behavior modification too many times anger is targeted and we need to deal with anger issues and we do and, and you have to have behavior modification when there's domestic violence. That violence has to stop, modify that behavior, intervene in that behavior but it's deeper than the fruit. That fruit represents a root and so behind anger is a root and so number two on your sermon notes has a heart problem that is targeted. Good man good root bad man bad root heart problem problems start in the heart that heart represents our center of emotions our thinking our reasoning it refers to the inner man in scripture it's used as and referred to as the ultimate source of all of our behavior the heart really reveals whether we are in love with self or we're in love with God whether we're self-promoting and self-loving or whether we're Christ-exalting and Christ-loving. It's going to reveal that. That's why the wisdom of Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Jeremiah cautioned us. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah 17.9. Proverbs, again makes us understand, guess what? We, in our own efforts, by human strength and means, cannot change the heart. Proverbs 20 and verse 9, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free of sin? Only God can change a heart, but He can. And the Word of God, biblical truth, is what we use to wash in, to transform our thoughts, that transforms desires, that will transform behavior. So your root or your inner person, your heart is revealed by thoughts, speech, and actions. Maybe not totally, but you'll get a good idea of what's inside. By your thoughts, Matthew 15, Mark chapter 7. By your speech, Matthew chapter 12, Luke 6, 45. By your actions, again, Matthew 15 and Mark 7. Heart problems inevitably lead to unbiblical deeds. When the heart is not right spiritually, the actions, the action level is going to be wrong. But heart problems that lead to unbiblical deeds may be accompanied by, often lead to bad feelings. Different levels. I said this last week. We feel what we feel. Because we do what we do, because we want what we want. Want, desire, inner man, root. And when we desire the wrong things, 
and think the wrong things, we're going to do the wrong things. And when we do the wrong things as a child of God, you know what's going to happen? Conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Guilt. Troubled. Now, if you do wrong things and you're not convicted, then you're not born again. And so as it comes to hurtful words and violent behavior and things like that, if we can do that and not uh, have a check in our system that it is wrong and a sin against God and be drawn toward repentance and, and give fruit of repentance in our life, then we need to be asking God, am I truly born again? Well, the heart, the root of violence is simply selfish pride. Selfish pride. Pride and arrogance are at the heart of an abusive man or an abusive person. It can go both ways. It's just lopsided on the guy side. Desires and prejudices are often elevated to that status of rights and entitlement. My right, what I'm entitled to. I'm the head of this household. I'm entitled to you doing what I say. That's an abuse of biblical teaching. Pride is a killer. Both of the men wrapped in its deceit, that it's all about you, and the women being destroyed in its wake. The Bible is very clear regarding pride. It's not unclear at all. Pride led to the fall of Satan and contributed to the fall of man. Pride continues to rob individuals of God-centered, others-focused, rewarding life of a Christ follower. Sinful, selfish pride will keep you away from what God wants from you. Proverbs, let me just give you a couple of passages right here in Proverbs. About pride, 13.10, Proverbs 13.10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with well, the well-advised is wisdom. And then just flip the page, Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction. We know that one. And a haughty spirit before the fall. So pride is a problem. Has been, is, and the abusive heart is full of sinful pride. And we need to recognize that. It's not just the fruit that's hanging and easy to see and that might be destructive. There is a root called pride and self-love that is deep down inside that we have to deal with. While pride does not always manifest itself in violence, it can be one of the other forms of abuse, men who use violence normally think a whole lot about themselves, hold themselves in high esteem. Hear me say, selfish pride is sinful. It is sinful, and we must deal with it as sin. Uproot it. Repent. Manifestations of pride, complaining against or passing judgment on God. Pride people have no boundaries. Proud people have no boundaries. There's a lack of gratitude in proud people. There's anger manifest in proud people. You know why we get angry most of the time? It didn't go my way. You messed with my cheese. You didn't meet my expectations. Seeing yourself better than others is a classic example of pride. Being either, either overly inflated by your gifts and talents, think more highly than you ought, and the flip side of that one, that is still pride, being underinflated about who you are. Woe is me. I can't. I don't have. Perfectionism can be an indication of sinful pride. Talking too much, Proverbs 10:19, just go check it out. Proverbs 10:19, write it down. 
seeking independence or control, being consumed with what other people think about you is an indicator of pride. Being devastated or angered by criticism, an indicator of pride. Being sarcastic, hurtful, and degrading. A lack of admitting wrong or asking forgiveness. Those are classic indications of pride. Many, many more, but we have to move. This attitude, that desire for ultimate authority by using one's strength and position to belittle or diminish others is highly, highly inconsistent with the life of a Christ follower. That's not who we are in Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. By this they will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another, that you love one another as I have loved you. Third on your notes, here's the hope, here's the good news. We have a gospel provision. The Bible tells us in a very familiar passage of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let me tell you, the first step toward deliverance from particularly this issue of domestic violence is salvation. For those who are abused... For those who experience great shame because you've been abused, understand this, it was not your fault. Understand this, your value is in Christ, not what happened to you. Understand this, your purpose for today and the days ahead is in the gospel and the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are loved more than anybody else by a Savior. He gave his life that he might give you value and purpose and meaning no matter what sinful behavior has done to you at any point in time in your life. So that gospel provision is the first step of receiving a new life in 2 Corinthians 5.17, becoming a new person in Christ. You become a new creation. And so the good news is the power of the gospel is sufficient to bring you from that depths of fear and humiliation and shame and set you free in the value of who you are in Christ. Hang on to that. We want to walk with you and help you experience that. Now, to the violent person, more than likely the violent man, you need to submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to deny yourself. You need to get over yourself. You need to get you off the throne. You're not the most important person in the room. We need to exalt Christ and Christ alone. We need to say, not I, but Christ. We need to say, I have now not only become a new person. By the way, men, we need to check if we are overly abusive in our words or in our looks or in our actions, then, then we need to make sure, first of all, that we've been born again because when Jesus comes in, he gives us a new heart, and that new heart cannot tolerate a lifestyle of violence. You can't. You're troubled. And if you're not troubled, you need to find Christ. Not only do we become that new person, we have a new purpose. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Don't you understand you've been bought at a great price? 
your body is not your own any, any longer. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it as unto the Lord, to the glory of God. And so we must find our way to make it our goal, our aim, to please Christ and Christ alone. The man of God who is seeking the mind of Christ is a man of God that is living under the authority of Christ in his life. For the abused and for the abuser, our hope is found in the gospel of Christ. You can't change yourself long term. We can modify behavior and we can intervene. Say, if you do that again, you're going to jail. Your wife can say, if that happens again, I'm going to divorce you. A daddy can say, if you touch my daughter again, I'm going to kill you. All right, let's back that off. I'm going to beat you up. You get it? We can modify behavior. But listen, church, if we fall short of letting the truth of God penetrate the heart and making disciples by interjecting the truth of God's word and men and women surrendering to the authority of God and growing to be like Christ in character and conduct, then we have fallen short of our mission. And our mission reaches to the hurting, those who have been abused, but our mission also confronts and rebukes and trains in righteousness the abuser. It is both, not either or. We become a new person. We have a new purpose. We have a new power. Can't change ourselves, but the Holy Spirit of God transforms us. Three weapons of our warfare, the Word of God, prayer, and the Holy Spirit of God. I want to end with this. We have to have a new practice. We can't come to church and be remorseful and then go do it all over again on Monday. There has to be a journey of change. And this, men, this is where our small groups comes in, into effect. We've got to have men in our life that are able and willing to ask us the hard questions. And so there has to be a new practice. Some of you study 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter this morning. And, and, and so as you study that, there's some positive characteristics and some negative ones. And Scripture calls us to put off some things and to put on some other things. And so we must put off sinful pride. We must put off that self-service. We must put off bragging and being dishonoring. We must put off quick temper. We must put off holding grudges. We must put off delighting in evil. But we must put on patience and kindness, rejoicing in truth, protecting and trusting and hoping and persevering because love never fails. The heart of violence must not only be uprooted, but must be replaced by the mind of Christ. That's a good statement. I want you to turn with me as we close to Ephesians chapter 4. Oftentimes in counseling, this is a place that I'll end up in. Ephesians chapter 4, look at um, verse 25. Think about put off. What do we need to put off and put on? What do we need to put on? By God's strength within us. Therefore, therefore, put away lying. Is there anything about you, man, that your wives don't know? Ladies, anything about you that your husbands don't know? Put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth. Pick up truth. Put it on. 
for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. It didn't say don't be angry because that's a natural emotion. But most of us struggle with getting angry and then sinning. Be angry and do not sin. Don't give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, change, that he may have something to give, a new practice, him who is in need. Here it is. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Here, positive, put on, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave who? Hmm. Put off violence and put on gentleness. Put off ridicule, put on encouragement. Put off minimizing and deny on blame and put on truth. Put off male privilege and put on servant leadership. Boy, if the hearts of men begin to change, marriages are going to begin to change, families are going to begin to change, Liberty Baptist will begin to change, and Chelsea, Alabama will begin to change. So how do we tackle this subject? A constant diet of the truth of the Word of God, of discovering Christ and the power of the gospel. A constant diet of growing up to be like Christ in character and conduct. And that means more than Sunday morning. It has to be a daily routine, more than large group worship, which is a good thing, but connecting in life group of people you know and know you and that will ask you tough questions. But even beyond that, who's the one, two, three, or four people in your life that can meddle and ask you the hard questions that you can be honest with. And see, we need to strive to instill right thinking through the teaching of the Word of God that will foster right desires within us so that we can have produced over and over again right behavior. The heart of the matter in domestic violence is that matter of the heart. So let me ask you, what kind of fruit do we have? And that fruit reveals a root that's deep down inside. And we can't just pinch the fruit off and it be gone. Have you ever tried to pull weeds up in your yard and you broke them off without getting the root? Two or three days later, guess what's coming? That same weed is coming back. So when we deal with fruit only and don't deal with the root, we can intervene and stop it for a time, but it's coming back until the root is dealt with. Philippians chapter 2, here's our command. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. You know what that is? The opposite of pride, which is humility. The perfect example of humility is Christ who emptied himself, who was obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. And as he humbled himself, he esteemed others. In the first uh, verses 3 and 4 in that Philippian 2 passage, that we're challenged to esteem others better than ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain glory, but esteeming others. You see, when we grow up to be like Christ, then self will not be on the throne. Christ will. And not only will Christ be on the throne, but when he's on the throne, we think of others more than we think of ourselves. So what kind of fruit do we have? And what does it say about the root that is down below? I want to ask guys to do something. I, this is dangerous, and I know it, but I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you to come to the altar. 
But I want to give a disclaimer to the church family. If a man comes and kneels at the altar, and ladies, you can come kneel and pray too. It doesn't mean that he's confessing that he is an abuser, okay? Are you with me? Did you hear that? Are you, are you looking up here, not at your watch or your phone? Here's what I want to ask guys to pray for today. Pray that God would give us a desire for the mind of Christ. All of us can probably confess struggle with pride. God built us to be leaders, and leaders can think a lot about themselves sometimes. It's a natural struggle. So, you know, for me, a confession, a desire to turn away from pride and surrender to Christ. Guys, will you take a challenge and take a lead in just saying, God, help me desire Christ more than anything else. Help me to get self off the throne as an idol and put Christ back in his place of authority. Help me to love you with all that is within me. And then will you offer a prayer for men's ministry at Liberty Baptist? Oh, God, help us to love you and love our brothers in Christ that we care enough to spur them on to love and good deeds. Accountability. As the Lord leads. I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to sing. While we're singing, may the altar be full. And again, we're not confessing doing abusive behavior. Some might be, but not all of us will be. We're begging for God to give us the mind of Christ. Also, during this time is a time for you to make known in a public way decisions that God has dealt with you in your heart that you need to make known. Joining the church, coming for baptism, whatever it might be, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will direct our steps. And Father, there are a lot of men that thankfully violence has not been part of their past of experiencing. Abuse is not something they had to grow up with. And it's not a part of their life that they actively do now. Thank you for that. But as men of God, Father, I pray that we'll cry out to you and beg that we will desire more and more the mind of Christ. To take on that attitude of humility in our life. They will grow more like Jesus by esteeming others more important than ourselves. Father, that you would fill us with your power to be men of God that make a difference. Help us to learn to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Help us, Father, to demonstrate a love in the home that's unconditional, but one that steadily points others to Christ. Father, I pray that that not only will we be willing to uproot the sinful pride, but Father, that, that void that's created when we pull the root out will be filled with the love of God and, and the mind of Christ. Give us a new practice. Help us not to operate by a default mechanism that when we're not effectively abiding in our quiet time, then we live after the flesh and then we have fruit that reveals fleshly roots. Oh, Father, give us a root of Christ and give us that love that abounds and let us be loving and patient and kind and good and gentle and faithful. Father, help us to allow our lives to be spirit-controlled. Help it to reflect Christ. 
Father, I pray for those that may be here that somewhere at some time they've been injured. I pray that they will find value in the gospel, that they will be restored, that they'll have the assurance they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Father, that they can be set free from that bondage of the past by the power of the gospel, that they'll know that they are beautiful in the sight of a Savior who loves them more than anybody else. Father, I pray against shame, and I pray against that, that fear, and I pray against that humiliation that they experience. And for this precious man that might be on the other side, Father, that, that we keep falling down in the same area. Father, I pray that through the brothers in Christ around him and through the power of God within him and through the Word of God being washed in, that he will be renewed in his mind, empowered by your Spirit to rise and be a different man because he's being transformed by the power of the gospel. Father, uh, I pray that you'll stir the hearts of men, stir the hearts of our marriages, stir the families of Liberty Baptist, stir this church with a flame of, of revival. And Father, help us to have gospel impact. Help us to understand None of us have it all together. But we need to hold each other up and help one another to walk in the light as he is in the light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.